today we are going to conclude our uh, series entitled Open House. Uh, we've been in this conversation regarding the importance of hospitality as an active component of our faith in Jesus. That when we step into relationship with Jesus, it's not just about receiving salvation and that's, that's just the end. No, it's, 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 it's very literally the beginning. Um, as we step into relationship with God and He desires that we would invite people into relationship and community. That we would invite people into what it means to follow Jesus. And so today as we conclude this message series by considering the hospitality that God showed us through the death and resurrection of His Son Jesus, we need to embrace and understand that hospitality has to play a central role in our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to come to that place of understanding that we've been given the gift of salvation so that we can share it with others. See, God's command to love others throughout Scripture gives us a clear message that hospitality and true service to others has to be center focus. Whether we're at home or at work or at school or on vacation or just walking down the street, we have opportunities to invite people into relationship. We have opportunities to reach outside of ourselves to care for people, to serve people, to share Jesus' unconditional love. Sometimes we have to be willing to embrace, though, that God may be asking us to step outside of our comfort zone or, or to show the kind of hospitality that we may not desire to show. And maybe in the circumstances that we don't desire to be in. And sometimes we find ourselves in those places where circumstances dictate a different response. At the end of the day, we, we have to remember that we've been called the body of Christ. We've been called the body of Christ in order that we might love people and serve them the way that Jesus did. It was no accident that Jesus likened the church to His body. He quite literally wanted us to function in the same way. So today we're going to be looking at an exchange between Jesus and two of His disciples following the resurrection. So Jesus has been crucified. He's put in a tomb. and Three days later, He's resurrected. And yet, the story's still a little bit shaky for quite a few people. And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't have your Bibles, you can jump on your mobile app and um, search for the Version Bible app and then search events and you can find Neighborhood Church under there. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, we pick the story up with the two disciples that are walking on the road. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked Him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these, these days? What things, He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed Him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified Him. But we had hoped that 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you've shown us so freely in giving the gift of salvation through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and His resurrection. God, we don't take lightly that you've invited us into relationship. Instead, we desire to to better understand what it means to follow you and to, to love people the way that you've called us to love people. So We ask that you'd help us today, Lord, that you'd challenge our hearts, that you'd awaken our minds to understand what you are saying in Scripture and how it pertains to the way in which we live our lives. God, we ask that you'd be with us today and you'd speak to us. And we thank you for this awesome opportunity that we have to be together in your presence, worshiping. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to come back to this passage of Scripture in just a minute, but have you ever been in that place where you are getting ready to go on a trip or you're needing to take care of something? Maybe you're even getting ready to cook something and you're looking desperately around the house to find something. You know, you got to find your piece of luggage or you need a, an ingredient for a recipe and you, you're just rummaging through everything and you can't find it anywhere. And you're, you're losing your mind trying to figure out where in the world the thing that you need is at. And you tend to, you tend to kind of go about that process and then you end up asking you know, one of your family members, hey, have you seen such and such a deal? I don't remember where we put it. They said, oh yeah, it's you know, right over there in the closet. Oh yeah, just open the cupboard. It's right there. And you do, and then you're like, wait, what? I just looked in there three times. We've, we've had that, that process take place a few times in our, in our home. And Gretchen likes to use this fancy little phrase when I'm looking for something or when she asks me to go and grab something from the refrigerator and I'll open it up and I'll sit there and I'll look for about five minutes and I'll say, where's it at? She goes, look beyond what you can see. And I go, okay. Oh, there it is. Yeah. You know, and then obviously, magically, it's just there. And too often in our lives, we have a tendency to need to look beyond what we can see. And sometimes it's like that feverish search for whatever it is you need in your life at that moment. But we have to understand that the journey of faith in Jesus can sometimes leave us blinded by disappointment. We can sometimes find ourselves in this place where we are expecting something to happen or we we read Scripture a certain way and okay, it's all going to play out this way and, and then it doesn't happen the way that we wanted it to or the way we expected it to. And we find ourselves disappointed. We find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves hopeless. Because God didn't show up the way that He should have showed up. Or the answer didn't come the way that we expected it to. See, too many times in life we allow the circumstances of life to blind us from the truth of God that we know and believe. We read Scripture and we see the promises of God 
and then we see life play itself out and we say, where are you, God? What is, what's going on? This doesn't even make sense. That's not what it says. And we get disappointed. And this is quite literally where Jesus' disciples are at. They, following Jesus' death, there was, there was a, a huge amount of uncertainty regarding the prophecy of the Messiah. Because everybody expected this Messiah to walk in and restore Israel and drive out the oppressors and drive out the Roman Empire and, and the heavy hand of all these empires that had, had, had continued to persecute them for years. They expected this Messiah to show up and fix things. And yet it hasn't happened the way that they thought it should. And here we, we find two of Jesus' disciples walking along the road. And is there a level of excitement and anticipation as they walk? Are they you know, skipping arm in arm like, yeah, woo, this is all taking place just like it said? No. No, if anything, they're confused. They're distraught. They're hopeless. They're wondering what in the world is going on. This is not how this was supposed to play out. And we see Jesus go and engage them in, in conversation. And, and Luke tells us they were kept from recognizing Him. Do you think it's because you know, Jesus was in disguise and He had like the glasses with the little mustache thing on and maybe a hat? And you guys are tough this morning. No, it wasn't because He was disguised. or Yes, we, we, we know in Scripture it says He had not fully come into His being because He had just been resurrected. But it was because they weren't expecting to see Him. They had already given up. This was all supposed to play itself out. The Messiah was supposed to show up, overthrow the government, everything. They were not expecting to see Jesus. And when Jesus asked them what they're discussing, what's their response? Scripture says, they stood still, their faces downcast. They were bummed out. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. They were, they were Debbie Downers. They were Grumpy Gusses. They were... But what Cleopas and his companion are discussing is the news. They're discussing the political news of the day. Right? It's like they had picked up the, you know, the Jerusalem Herald or the, you know, and they were like, oh, nope, yeah, he's dead. Okay, what happened? Jesus, Jesus had been crucified and in the Roman Empire, crucifixion was a highly, deeply political exercise. Kelly shared about that last week that, that when Jesus was crucified, when, when crucifixion was done, it was very public. It, was, it, it sent a very clear and strong message. Don't mess with the Roman, Roman government because this is what will happen to you. Do not push us. Don't challenge us. This is, this is the end game if you want to push against the Roman Empire. And so this very public, very political scene has, has just unfolded. And like many of us today, Cleopas and his companion have lost hope in the face of political news. There are many who are watching the TV right now. Gretchen and I were glued to the TV this last week watching what was going on in disbelief. And many people are watching the news and watching what's going on in our country and watching what's going on around the world and going, what? 
Cleopas declares in the past tense in verse 21, we had hoped Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. They'd even heard that Jesus' tomb was empty in verses 22 and 23, but they didn't believe it. Like, no, this is, it's over. We thought it was going to happen, and it didn't. See, this, this Emmaus Road story, as some theologians or scholars like to refer to it, reminds us that it is directly into a dire political climate. And the hopelessness that tragic political news can bring to us that Jesus Himself comes along. The most desperate of situations, that's what Jesus steps into. Whatever's going on in your life and in your family and in your sphere of influence, that's what Jesus is stepping into. But how often are we blinded by the news that disappoints us, worries us, or consumes our thoughts? Many of us are watching what's happening in Ukraine. We, we face adversity in our lives and in our, our families. We question the, the sovereignty of God, the power and the purpose of God. What, God, why, is, why are you allowing this to happen? What's going on? We struggle greatly to see beyond what's right in front of us. See, in the midst of the struggles, God's call is to trust Him and to continue to walk in obedience to His plan. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. never fails to bear fruit. When adversity comes to your life, are you withering? Or are you planted? Are you planted in God so that you are always green, you're always bearing fruit, you're always displaying the greatness of God. See, when we choose to trust Jesus is who He says He is and that He's done what He said He would do, we can find the ability to literally look beyond what we can see even in the most difficult of circumstances. But when it comes back to that place of understanding that God has invited us into relationship, we have to understand that our practice of hospitality is a response to the hospitality that Christ first gave us. When we desire to show relationship, when we desire to show love and care and devotion to people, it's because Jesus did that for us first. See, choosing to practice hospitality in our everyday lives comes as a response to God's invitation to relationship purchased through Jesus. Even, the, even these disciples in their, in their disbelief got this. They understood the idea of hospitality in their most difficult of situations. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 28. It says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? 
See, when they encountered Jesus, something happened. But they were so wrapped up in their disappointment, they didn't sense and understand what was going on. They didn't understand they were in the presence of Jesus. Despite all the prophecies, despite everything that had happened. So the question becomes, to whom are we choosing to show hospitality? This has kind of been the ongoing question throughout this series. You see, too often our desire is to engage people in relationship born out of what we'll get out of it. We tend to engage relationship and friendship and community out of what we'll get back in return. We want friendship and people who relate to us, that get us, they know us. You know, Gretchen has put up with me for 23 years. Grateful for that. But we like people who kind of get us with all of our warts and spots and whatever. We like to find people who have kids that are the same age as our kids so the kids can get along and we can have playdates. I don't know why they became playdates. Used to just go and knock on people's doors and say, can Johnny come out and play? I don't know why we had that. Anyways, it's a whole different sermon. We like to have someone that, that we can vacation with, that we can go and you know, enjoy recreation with. We, we love finding those people we can invite over and they, they like to play cards just like we do. right? We, we, find, we like those people that kind of get us. It's interesting. Jesus' interpretation of who we should show, show hospitality to is, is quite different. In Luke 14, starting verse 12, it says, Then Jesus said to His host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, Jesus wasn't about entertaining people. He was about loving people. He was about inviting people into relationship. He was about going to the worst of the worst, to the least of these. So are we willing to reach outside our friendship circle to invite people we wouldn't normally interact with into community? Think about God's invitation to community and relationship. Every one of us was on the outside looking in. Every one of us was, was the, the, the crippled, the beggar, the lame, the blind, the prostitute, the, the tax collector. Every one of us was that. When God invited us into relationship. When Jesus died so that we could have life. We might think highly of ourselves sometimes and think, yeah, I'm a good Christian. I do all these things well. I'm definitely not like that person. But the reality is every one of us was separated from God completely without hope before Jesus showed the ultimate act of hospitality. Because of our sin, we were literally separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That's how separated we were from the love of God. 1 Corinthians 15.17 And if Christ had not been raised, 
your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Had Jesus not died and been raised from the dead, we wouldn't have any reason to be coming together today. We would have no hope past this life. Think about the cost of God's gift of salvation. The ultimate gift of hospitality. Nothing we could do could earn salvation. Nothing we could say would make us worthy of His unmerited favor and grace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have life, so that we wouldn't grow weary and lose heart. Because the work's already been done. It's because God reached out His hand of mercy to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can enter into the ultimate gift of hospitality and then have the ability to show it to others. See, in embracing and receiving the gift of God's perfect hospitality, we should similarly be committed to sharing that same love with others. But here's where the rub is. True hospitality is the call of the church to work together to share the love of Jesus. It's not just up to you or me. It's up to all of us. The church, the body of Christ, to show the love of Jesus outside the walls of this church. When the church of Jesus is truly bound together in unity, there is absolutely nothing that can stop the message of Jesus' love from going forth. Did you hear that? There is nothing that can stop the Gospel if we are together in unity. The key is being bound together in a spirit of oneness as it pertains to God's desire for His church. So what is His desire for His church, you ask? I'm glad you asked that. 1 Timothy 2, and I think it's wrong on the screen, I apologize. 1 Timothy 2, 2 through 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How many people does he want to be saved? That was pathetic. How many people does he want to be saved? Thank you. Everyone. God's desires that none would perish. He sent his son so that every one of us could step into relationship. But the difficulty lies in the myriad of expectation that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus have for our church. Because we like our church the way we like our church. We tend to focus more on what we need than the needs of the people who are coming in looking for connection and community and hope and ultimately Jesus. 
You know, I read a recent article entitled, Stupid Complaints of American Church People. Like that title? Interestingly, they highlighted some complaints that, that often come from church people that I want to share with you. And understand that I am not indicting or fleecing anyone. I'm just helping you understand that sometimes our perspectives can get off. I'm not saying that, that not every one of the people that are sitting in this place or watching online don't love people. I'm not saying that we don't have a desire to see God show up and change people's hearts and lives. I'm saying that sometimes we get a little stuck in our preferences. So here we go. Here's the first one. The church isn't meeting my needs. I know that's never been said by anybody in this room. And this is what the author said. I've never met a person who's a committed servant in their church make this complaint. The people who say this are the people who attend a church only for what they can get out of it. Yet biblically, we are told that each of us is a part of the body and have something to contribute. Contributors don't complain about not getting their needs met. They're more committed to meeting the needs of others. So there you go. Church isn't meeting your needs. Okay. I'm not being fed at church. How about that one? I'm not being fed at church. Here's a fun little thought for you. Hungry people eat. Maybe you missed that. Hungry people eat. I can attest to this. I eat fairly regularly, um, sometimes to excess. But when you're hungry, you go and you get something to eat, right? I'm pretty sure when Gretchen and I went to the movie last night, I may have OD'd on popcorn. But when you're hungry, you eat something. I've seen homeless people eat leftovers straight out of a garbage can. I've seen college students rejoice over the nastiest, waxy-looking cheap pizza you've ever seen. I've seen starving children gladly eat vegetables that my kids snub their noses at. The reality is, hungry people eat, regardless of what's put before them. This phrase is one of those great church excuses that only people who have been in the church a long time use. People who are new to Christ and new to church don't say this because they are hungry for more of Jesus. And because they're hungry, they find spiritual food to eat every time they worship at church. Every time. I'm not being fed at church. What about this one? I can only serve where I'm gifted. I can only serve where I'm gifted. I, I, I have no problem with people functioning in their gifts and their passions. I'm all for people working in their God-given talents. But, can you imagine the things that would be left undone if people only served where they're gifted? I mean, who has the gift of window washing? Who has the spiritual gift of scrubbing nasty, splashed urinals in the bathrooms? Who has the gift of changing diapers? Are there people doing these things with a joyful heart? Absolutely. There's a group of men and women that come every 
Monday morning and clean this facility. Not because we're paying them, not because we're celebrating them, not because we're doing anything for them, because they are grateful to be able to serve. And they are an incredible blessing to this church. We have to do things with a joyful heart. People don't do all that crazy stuff because they're gifted. It's because they're grateful. Grateful people serve wherever they're needed. Why? Because they're thankful for the gift of salvation and pray that God might use them to help bring others to the place they might step into relationship with Jesus. By doing all these menial little tasks, maybe somebody may be saved because our facilities are beautiful when they walk in. I can only serve where I'm gifted. How about this one? The message isn't deep enough. I know, never, never said, ever. Maybe you're saying it right now. I don't know. People like to say, I want to go deeper. And that's a good thing, right? We all want to go deeper. We want more understanding. Often it reflects a desire for exhaustive expository teaching. Now, if we're honest, every one of us loves a good expository Bible study, that verse-by-verse study where you really extrapolate the Scripture. But the pious complaint that there's not enough deep teaching is really a bit silly. You want to know why? Because Jesus didn't teach that way. There is no record of Jesus giving a verse-by-verse expository message anywhere in the New Testament. Instead, Jesus taught by using parables. If Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount today, I wonder how many people might complain that it wasn't deep enough. Jesus said to love your neighbor like you love yourself. How deep have you gone with that today in your life? He said to forgive everyone. How deeply have you forgiven all those who've wronged you? Jesus said not to worry. Are you deeply resting in God's provision all the time? Or do you sometimes flounder with worry? Jesus taught us to have the faith of a child. Do you deeply trust God with everything or does your mind sometimes doubt? Going deeper shouldn't mean understanding more about every detail of every text and diving into the Hebrew and the Greek and all that. No. Rather, it should mean taking the clear meaning of the text and letting it deeply change how we live. Are you grabbing hold of Scripture and applying it to your life? Or is it just really a great poetic book that you sometimes enjoy cracking open? Because God's greatest desire is that we would take Scripture and understand it to mean that we are to live a certain way. What if instead of worrying about what we want for our church experience, we began working to become experts at understanding what people are truly looking for in meaningful connection? I'm telling you, Gretchen and I had a conversation with some friends this past week talking about this aspect of church. 
And I was sharing my heart, my desire to see God flood our doors with people who are desperate to find an answer, who are desperate for truth. But here's the reality. If 40 people walked in that door right now with all their stuff and their lives in their shopping carts and they plopped down next to you, would you be okay with that? They don't smell like us. They don't look like us. They sure as heck don't talk like us. Are we okay with the messiness that exists in stepping into the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if we're not, we'd be hard-pressed to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because that's who Jesus was hanging out with every day. Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When we come together in community, we celebrate God's goodness in our lives and we encourage one another and we pray with one another and we share with one another and we love one another and we give of ourselves freely and without expectation of repayment. 3 John 1, verse 5, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. We should show people hospitality so that we can connect them to the truth. The truth of the Gospel that Jesus loves them desperately and desires relationship and desires that they would not be separated from God. God's greatest desire is that the church, the body of Christ, each and every one of us, would daily more reflect His immeasurable love and grace and find ways in which to work together to show His love to others in tangible ways. What if we all just bound together and said, listen, we're just going to become experts about what people need. We don't care about donuts and coffee. We don't care about, you know, fluffy chairs. You know, we'll, we'll even use the hard ones that make your butt fall asleep. No, we, we, we care about figuring out what people in this community really, really need. And we want to be about that. And we want to be working at that every day. Because sharing the love of Jesus in community requires placing a person's story over our preference. It requires us setting aside the things that we want and the creature comforts that we love about church and say, what do those people who are going to walk through these doors need? What are those people that we're trying to go out and reach need? In order to truly have the ability to show hospitality, to an ever-changing culture, we have to embrace the simplicity of Jesus' example of community. It wasn't hard. It wasn't complicated. He just saw people who were hurting and said, listen, I want to hang out with you. Listen, I want to have lunch with you. Hey, I want to come to your house today. He invited them into conversation. The woman at the well, hurting, divorced six times, living with another man. And Jesus speaks right directly to her heart. 
When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it was chocked full of meetings, interactions, meals, and ministry to those with whom the religious elite despised and condemned. Don't even go next to that person because you will be ceremonially unclean. Don't even talk to that person because they're a Samaritan, they're a woman, they're this, they're that. But those are the people that Jesus literally reached out to in every moment, to the least of these. And he was called out for it regularly. In Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have, called, come, I have not come to call the righteous, I'm sorry, but sinners. Have you ever thought about the church as a hospital? How many of you go and just hang out at the hospital for really no reason at all? Two of you? <laughs> You're weird. No, no, I'm just <laughs> joking. No, we don't go hang out at the hospital, right? Most of us avoid it at all costs, right? I, I, I don't enjoy going to the hospital. I don't like the way that it smells. I don't like the moaning and the groaning that comes out of the rooms. I just don't like what's represented there. It's hard for me. It's a labor of love sometimes. But it's interesting. Jesus talks about the hospital. He talks about those who, who, who are, are healthy don't need a doctor. It's, it's the unwell who need a doctor. And when we think about the hospital, when we think about the church, should this be a place where we all come in and just hang out? Or should it be a place chocked full of people who are desperate, who are hopeless, who are hurting, who are discouraged, who are despised, who society's given up on? Are we ready for that? Are we willing to give hospitality when those people come in? Too often we tend to forget Jesus' command in Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. Not to the, just the ones that are easy to talk to and the ones that, that, that present themselves well and, and abide by all the rules and don't break laws and don't do drugs. and No, all creation. And guess what? The world's watching us. The world is watching the church to see if we truly are who we say we are. And what's, what's more? Our neighbors are watching. Our family members are watching. Our kids are watching. And they're making up their mind about this Jesus, this body of Christ, this church. As we prepare to close, I recently read a, a a study that was done by the Barna Group. It was a five-year study exploring the opportunities and challenges of faith development among teens and young adults. 
within a rapidly shifting culture. The research was comprised of interviews with teenagers and young adults and parents and youth pastors and and lead pastors. And overall, the research uncovered six significant themes why nearly three out of every five young Christians, 59%, disconnect either permanently or for an extended period of time from church life after the age of 15. Did you hear that? 60% of young people by the age of 15 walk away. You want to hear the six reasons? Reason number one, churches seem overprotective of their traditions. We like church the way we like church. Nobody's going to tell us to change how we do things. We get too overprotective of our preferences and our traditions. And You do this in church and you don't do that and you shouldn't. Reason number two, teens and 20-somethings experience of Christianity and church is shallow and confusing. They don't understand what we're talking about. The the words are too big. They don't make sense. Scripture doesn't make sense when, when we break it down and it's confusing. Reason number three, churches come across as antagonistic to science. I know nobody, nobody snubbed their nose at, at, at science, whatever that meant this last two years. Reason number four, young Christians' church experience, experiences related to sexuality are often simplistic and judgmental. Do you know that there has been no greater generation that has sexuality thrust into the forefront of their minds with such confusion of what love and sexuality is supposed to look like. God's desire for love. And instead of engaging and embracing conversations that allow us to hear the hearts of people who are grappling with identity and sexuality and all these different things, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. This is what the Bible says. Whack, 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 whack. And we're unwilling to have a conversation and engage people wherever they're at. Reason number five, they wrestle with the exclusive nature of Christianity. Do you know we live in a world right now where your truth is your truth? I'm not going to say anything about your truth. And instead of wading into the fray and instead of Walking into the complexity, we step, step back and say, oh, I can't have that conversation. I can't get any of that on me. That's, some, that's ceremonially unclean. And we're unwilling to have conversations and allow people to wrestle with the truth, wrestle with Christianity, wrestle with questions. It leads me to the last reason. The church feels unfriendly to those doubt have we forgotten that every one of us was a doubter before we stepped into relationship with Jesus every one of us was a Thomas that said let me see the scars I don't uh, is that really you every one of us was on the outside looking in 
And if you break down the basis of each of these reasons why so many young people are walking away from the church, there's one central theme. Preferences. We like things the way we like them. We like church to be neat and tidy and kind of to fit into our week, fit into our day, fit into our schedule. Because we live in a consumeristic culture. You see, Jesus didn't care about the preferences of the religious. He only desired greater connection with those who had not yet entered the family of God. He didn't care about what the the religious leaders said. Oh, you think I shouldn't heal on the Sabbath? Watch this. Boom. Stand up and walk. Take your mat and walk. He didn't care. He only cared about people. And Paul understood this concept of putting aside his preferences. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, he said, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Here's a question. Are you willing to become all things to all people that through the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit we might see some Come to the loving knowledge of the Savior. So we have to be willing to push back from our preferences to consider what form of Jesus' hospitality our friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and family members may need to see. There's an old saying the methods are many, the principles are few. The methods are always changing, the principles never do. The Gospel has not changed. God sent His Son so that none would perish. He loved that much. Jesus' mission has been the same since the beginning. To seek and save the lost. But we can change the ways in which we love people. We can go outside the walls of the church and engage people. Every one of us has a unique story of God's grace and forgiveness. And when we place the value of a person's story above that of our preferences, we find the beautiful harmony that exists in the body of Christ. That means every one of us is a contributing part. Young or old, introvert or extrovert, shy or social, every one of us has a part to play. As we close, I share this quote from David Kinnaman. He co-authored a book entitled Unchristian. He said, Cultivating intergenerational relationships is one of the most important ways in which effective faith communities are developing flourishing faith in both young and old. In many churches, this means changing the metaphor from simply passing the baton to the next generation to a more functional biblical picture of a body. That is, 
the entire community of faith across the entire lifespan working together to fulfill God's purposes. Do we truly desire to be the body of Christ? The active body of Christ? Or are we more interested in being the statue of the body of Christ? That people can come in and go, oh, isn't that pretty? Oh, that's nice. Oh, I love the the perspective. We're not called to be a monument, a statue, a something that people just look at. We are called to love people the way that Jesus did. The greatest beauty of the hospitality of Jesus Christ is in receiving the gift of salvation, understanding that we're then called to share that same love with everyone we meet. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we thank You. We thank You that You invited us into relationship, that You invited us into the gift of of hospitality through the salvation that's found in Jesus. And we understand that there are many messages that are going out into the world and that our culture is bought into many things. And and so instead of being afraid to step into those conversations, God, give us boldness and courage and understanding and grace and love to be willing to have those conversations and invite people into a place of relationship. Help us not to be afraid to set aside our preferences to become who You desire we would be to reach those who need to know You love them. Father, we need Your courage. Holy Spirit, we need Your power. We need Your guidance, Your direction, Your understanding in every moment, every day, every interaction, every conversation. Father, that we would see the world through Your eyes. And that we would love people the way that You've loved us. We thank You for inviting us into relationship. We thank You for salvation. We thank You that You were so in love with Your creation that even while we were still separated from You, You sent Your Son. That we could have life and life more abundant. So we thank You, Father, today and we ask that You would equip us to be those that would show hospitality to everyone that You bring across our path. And that as a church, we would begin to look more and more and more into opportunities to invite people into relationship. That we would set our church preferences aside and focus on the people who need need You. God, help us, we ask. We ask ask it in Jesus' name, Lord. And Perhaps this morning you find yourself in a place where you say, I've I've not stepped into relationship with Jesus. I've not made that decision. But I understand that I've tried to live my life my own way and that the only hope that I can find is found in a relationship with Jesus. If, If that's your desire, whether you're here in the house or you're tuning in online, We want to invite you to make that decision today. Each and every one of us has had to make that same decision, had to acknowledge our need of a Savior, had to acknowledge that we were living in a a way that was taking us in a destructive direction. So if that's your desire today, we're going to say a prayer and we'd ask you to say this prayer with us. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So would you say this prayer with us this morning? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our prayer team is available to you today if you'd like to have somebody pray with you following the service. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. But church, we have the opportunity before us as we go out this week to show the hospitality that God showed us in sending His Son, inviting us into relationship. But we have to push past the noise. We have to push past our preferences and be willing to step into relationship with those that maybe the world has turned their back on. So my encouragement to you today is, can we look like and reflect more the person of Jesus and truly, truly desire to be the body of Christ, the active body of Christ within our community? I'm grateful for the opportunity we have to be together this morning. Grateful we'll have our annual business meeting tonight. Come back at 6 o'clock. Be a part of that. It's going to be riveting. And uh, we look forward to Wednesday. Uh, We've got some Bible studies going on, so come back for those. But let's go out of this place. Let's continue to love people. And in everything that we do, let's be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.